Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to a, another episode of Believe in the Press Row, a very special episode. Uh, we had one a little bit more serious earlier in the week where uh, Dr. Charles Tatter, who is the leading expert on concussions in sports, joined us. Uh, urge everyone to, li to listen in. Those, uh, those of you may recall, he's the doctor who, who got the wrath of Don Cherry. Um, great listen, lots of great advice for what young athletes can be doing right now when we're sitting out. But a little bit more fun, not less serious, but a little bit more fun. Uh, really thrilled to be joined today by Diamond Dallas Page, uh, wrestling Hall of Famer. Don't get to hear that too often. I think that is really cool. Amazing stories. I'll tell you, when I, when I Googled you to try and do a little bit of background, there is enough Wikipedia information there to get me through the coronavirus, however long that lasts. <laughs> um, and, and, and in doing that, I, uh, I, I, I was sitting, reading, doing preparation for this interview, and there you were on Anderson Cooper uh, the other <laughs> night. So I, I am humbled and honored to have you. Uh, I also have uh, a colleague of yours who's a mutual friend, uh, Paige Megan from Toronto, who's, who's grown up in Toronto, not only in, in the entertainment business, but also in the wrestling business, uh, being somehow in various ways affiliated with uh, the Iron Sheik. Uh, gentlemen, it's, it's really nice to have both of you join me today. Good to be here, bro. Nice to see you guys. So, so, so I, I'll tell you, like, I, I'm 48. I grew up in Toronto, and I will admit, happily, uh, I grew up watching wrestling as, as a young boy in Toronto. I can remember every Saturday, I think it was on every Saturday morning, uh, Mean Gene Okerlund and uh, Gorilla Monsoon were my, were my forms of entertainment. It was, I didn't care what anybody said about it. It was the ultimate good versus evil. There were the good guys, there were the bad guys. Uh, there were men, there were women, there were animals. And uh, there were culminations on, uh, on big events. WrestleMania came, kind of came out of nowhere. My favorite video game of all time is that early wrestling game. I don't even remember what it was called. WrestleFest. What was it called? WrestleFest. No, that wasn't it. Th this was the one where you could actually, like, you could get a chair out of the stands and uh, throw a chair at someone. You could jump off the turnbuckle. I used to play it at the video arcade at Avenue Road in Eglinton in the, in the bowling, in the uh, pool hall. I don't remember what it was called. It was, like, graphics were horrific, but, it, man, was it fun. And, uh, you know, I grew up on it. Uh, I think as I, I don't think as I aged, I, I lost touch and moved on to other things, but it is, uh, it, it's still going strong. So I, I guess my first question is, Diamond, how, how did you get into it? Well, I tried it when I was 23. I actually wrestled in Quebec once. Uh, I wrestled three times when I was 23. And in the Quebec match that I had was a TV for Crybaby Cannon. And, um, I hurt my knee. I hit by a car when I was 12 years old. The car hit my right knee. My face bounced off the hood. I flew 42 feet from a point of impact. And that ended my football and hockey. You know, to me, I was going to be playing defensive end for the uh, the Giants or the Jets. I'm a Jersey boy, you know. So uh, I, yeah, I really, I loved football and hockey. Uh, but when I, when I tore my knee, I tore my, my ACL, part of my uh, knee chat, uh, uh, my kneecap, uh, tore my meniscus, and there was no rehab back then. So there's no such thing as rehab in 1968. And um, I, um, I somehow figured out how to rehab myself. I started playing basketball, and I wanted to be a wrestler, you know, since I was a kid. And it's it's sort of a natural flow. If you're if you if you play basketball, it's kind of it's almost easier than being a wrestler. Even though being a wrestler does bring a lot of a lot of uh, um, your your past into the square circle, but what we do is more of a dance than a actual wrestling match. And uh, I tried it when I was 23, and I blew my knee out in a in a match that got pretty physical uh, when I went over the top rope. And it put me on the sidelines 
and I was in the bar business at the time. And at 23, I got a chance to run my, my first nightclub. It wasn't a nightclub. It was a bar. I had one bar along the wall. I had rock and roll on the weekends. But I was there five, six nights a week, healing up uh, from me hurting my knee again. And I kind of got lost in the booze, the broads, and the party. And had just had so much fun. I mean, I was Diamond Dallas Page back then. And uh, I, I, I stayed full-time in the bar business. And when I was 31, I was running a big club in Fort Myers, Florida. And Jake Roberts came in. And we were packed. And I'd seen him come in on one of my monitors that showed, showed the front door. And I went around the outside of the building because we were so packed. And when we were packed, we had 12, 1,200 people in there. So I came around the front door and I asked the girl who was checking people in, did a guy walk in here look like Jake Snake Roberts? And she's like, yeah, everybody thinks it's him. So I went like running in the door. <laughs> I was a huge fan. And when I saw him, I slowed down and tried to remain the cool factor and uh, walked up to him. And I was like, uh, hey, man, uh, you Jake Snake Roberts. He's like, who wants to know? And I said, the guy who runs the place. He goes, yeah. I'm like, what are we drinking? And that's how I met Jake. And then, he, of course, he didn't pay for any drinks. And, you know, he, he told DiBiase, I have a picture of me and Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, where I'm behind the bar. We had six bars in this place. I'm behind one of the bars. And I've got his hair, and I'm pulling him backwards over the uh, bar and had a bottle of tequila pouring straight into his mouth. And we were doing upside down shots of tequila. We became buddies and a bunch of the boys would come in because we were in Fort Myers, Florida. Tampa would have a wrestling show. The next night they'd be in Miami. Well, in between that 300 mile trip is Fort Myers. And they heard there was just some Mark who ran a, a nightclub that was killer. And he took care of the boys. And it just started to become a destination. And, uh, Around that time, I thought, I'm too old to be a wrestler. I was 31. I thought, but maybe I could be a manager. And I came up with this idea of Diamond Dallas Page, the Diamond Exchange were going to be my wrestlers, and I'd have Diamond Dolls. Now, back in 1988, actually, when I came up with that idea, it was 1987, there were no beautiful women in wrestling. Miss Elizabeth was beautiful, but she was girl next door beautiful i was like man i want to have a whole stable of the ladies and i want them to be stripper hot so they were like the first divas of professional wrestling the diamond dolls and i ended up getting in the awa i sent them a tape and me and three guys who wanted to be wrestlers i made up gimmicks for them one i called big bad john put him in this outfit another guy called rock hard rick and I had Ted E. Bear, who was a midget, who came out with the Diamond Dolls. And I cut these promos like they were real, like they were on TV. And the AWA, they were up, up in Toronto as well at that time, but they were mainly Chicago, uh, Milwaukee, you know, th those areas of the Midwest. Minnesota. <laughs> Say what? Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota, exactly. Uh, Detroit, you know, they were they were they worked that area, so they actually saw my tape I made and uh, and they called me and they were like, "Man, uh, you know, we like your shtick. Uh, we want to bring you and your boys in for a tryout." And they were like, "But we got one question. You know, we've shown your tape around and everybody likes your shtick, but uh, no one's ever heard of you. Where are you guys wrestling at?" I said, well, the truth is, Rob, uh, none of those guys can wrestle. What? Like, why would you send us a tape? I was like, because it's like a secret society trying to get into your, you know, into wrestling. And uh, I figured, what the hell, you know, those guys could train while I was, you know, working with other guys. And they were basically, don't call us, we'll call you. And I thought that was the end of it. But two weeks later, Paul Heyman, Paulie Dangerously at the time, would leave the AWA and go to the NWA, which would become WCW. 
And uh, it left a huge void for a young guy that could talk. And those guys, two weeks later, called me up. And Greg Gagne told me, bring all those crazy clothes. Because back then, I wore sequin jackets with rhinestone ties. I was in a nightclub. I was a, I was a character in a nightclub. I wore zebra skin boots and leopard jackets. And I mean, I was a guy who looked like a rock star, wanted to be in wrestling, and managed a nightclub. I mean, so you can imagine what my mother-in-law thought of that when she first got a load of me. Um, but uh, the bottom line is, um, I went there with uh, one of my diamond dolls to Vegas to try out. And next thing you know, I was on AWA actually managing wrestlers at the time. And it took five, well, four years to get my break in WCW. And after managing for five months, they were like, you're six foot four, you got the long blonde hair, you got all these crazy clothes, you got the hot looking women, you got the great rap, you're taking away all the attention off the wrestlers. So we can't let you do this anymore. And at the time I was doing like also color commentating, like fourth string color commentator, like the shows that were in Moose Breath, Iowa at 2 a.m., you know, nothing you'd see normal time. And I just knew the next guy to retire from professional wrestling, I would have been bumped. Now, now they weren't going to let me manage anymore because I was too over the top for professional wrestling. So uh, I went down to power plant. I learned how to wrestle at 35 and a half. That's when I started my wrestling career. So, you know, when I remember, like, the, I had never heard of anything other than the WWF mm. when I was a kid watching. That's, as far as I know, that's all that was on. It was, you know, Jimmy Superfly Snuka, and it was, you know, the British Bulldogs, Jake Rob, like the guys you're talking about. And there were hosts, and they, there were some man, uh, uh, what's the guy's name that became friends with Cindy Lauper? Captain Lou Albano. So, so that was one. Jimmy Hart, I don't remember the. Uh, you got enough of them there. That <laughs> classy, pretty blassy. And, and then in it, so am I right? And, and I'm completely ignorant. So I'm, I'm asking questions without knowing the answers. So that was like main, main store. That was like the, the pros, if you will, for lack of a better, that was the main show. They were. And then, but then it exploded. Like then WrestleMania landed and like it became a big business. Did you, Vince took it out of the, uh, the CD, you know, um, American Legion halls and put it in big arenas where the Knicks play and right. you know, the Lakers and it changed the entire, you know, Vince took a very, Vince McMahon took a very, um, you know, it was a lot, it was a lot of risk when he did it because it was territories. At one point there was stampede wrestling, which was in like, um, God, where was that in uh, um, Paige? Where was Stampede Wrestling at? It was Calgary. Uh, yeah, Calgary, right. And then there was another one in Toronto. And then there was one in uh, Vancouver. And then, of course, there was Kansas City and Atlanta, you know, GA and Florida, Florida Texas, yeah. and Portland. Like it was everywhere. But Vince, when you started to really see the WWF go from the WWF, WF to the WWF, that's when he went out and took the best players. He kind of pulled a uh, page out of Steinbrenner's book from the New York Yankees. And he went and got the best talent from each league. And then he promised those guys they were going to make more money than ever, really not knowing if he could do it or not. But he did, right? Yeah, he did, you know, risk and reward, you know, like he risked everything, but the reward, if he was right, was so great that today, you know, WWE, and it's funny because they were the WWF forever, and I guess at the time, Vince didn't really take seriously uh, the, uh, the the Wildlife, wildlife Fund. Wildlife Fund. World Wildlife Foundation. He didn't take it serious. And they end up getting WWF. Now, that would look like 
it's the worst thing that ever happened to them. It is the best thing ever happened to them. Of course. You know, you got to always look past like, all right, this is a problem. How do I make it the best thing ever happened to me? And again, Vince landed on his feet again, and he's had his app up on the internet, God, for probably seven, seven years or eight years by now. And he's got millions and millions of subscribers. You know, plus he's on the biggest Fox TV. I mean, they've got the biggest audience you can have right now. And it's nothing compared to the audience that we had in my day of the 90s because there wasn't all this streaming, you know? But, I mean, I was at Maple Leaf Gardens for WrestleMania 1. And I remember looking around going, I cannot believe how much money, I actually still have the ticket stuff. I can't believe how much money people are paying to watch a closed circuit wrestling. And at the end of the day, it was. It was good versus evil. It was a show. It was entertainment. Um, when, when this exploded, did it, uh, what was the trickle down like, first of all, to the stars, and then second of all, you know, to the secondary or third uh, athletes? I think everybody made money, you know, of course, just like in every sport or, you know, entertainment, TV. Like if you're watching, um, just pick a show that's on TV, the top people make the top money. And then it trickle, then it's a trickle down effect. You know, if you're talking about the Toronto Blue Jays, the top guys make the top money and then it trickles down. But the guys at the bottom today are still making great money. And uh, they're living the dream. They don't have to have a real job. You know, the problem is so many athletes, they did a great documentary, 30 for 30, one called Broke, B-R-O-K-E. And 70% of those guys have nothing five years after they're done. And it's really the exact same effect as people who hit the lottery. Right. 70% of those people, but I don't care how many millions they make, they end up back at their same job 10 years later. Because when you don't really have to work for it, and the guys who do work for it, example, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, you will never see them broke. Right. You know, Larry Bird, you'll never see broke. You know, but the guys who just can't come into it and all of a sudden this young kid's making, you know, $100 million. I mean, it's so, it's not the real world. And this kid, whoever that kid is that's basketball, that kid is being pampered since he's 12 and told how great he is. So that's why so many athletes or entertainers end up with nothing because they haven't really prepared for what's coming next while they're in it. Like I branded myself all the way through. And what I'm doing today outside of wrestling, have nothing to do with wrestling, is why I was on Anderson Cooper yesterday. You yeah. know? It's all about branding right. and getting people to, to just to be a good person and believe in yourself and do the right thing, you know, and the rest will just happen. So I watched, uh, I watched, there was a documentary on Andre the Giant. I think it was on HBO. It was great. Yes. Did you spend any time with that guy? I did a little bit, but I didn't really know him. I, I, he was uh, he was a WWE. He came in WCW for a moment, you know, um, and he was doing something um, with us. He was 46 at the time, and he had the crutches, and he was just – I felt so bad for him. I would never have wanted to have been in his body. You, know, you look at someone like the big show today, like he's seven foot still. He's 48, but he can still go out there and wrestle. I mean, he had giantism and all that too, but you know, it just, it was a different lifestyle and G wouldn't drink four to six bottles of wine a night. You know, I mean, all that stuff lays up on you and the schedule for WWE is really, it's strenuous, you know, really strenuous in the eighties and nineties though. And what about now? I'm sorry. What about now? Is it, what's the schedule like now? 
Well, today it's no, no, not 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 pre-corona. Pre-corona, I think you're still like they're doing about four or five days a week. But when when it was running hot in the '80s, yeah, when you saw it blow up, Jake told me he worked ninety straight days, two a days on Saturday and Sunday. If you don't have drugs and alcohol to keep you going over that period, that schedule's impossible. And, and when, you, when, you, when he said that, how much of that time is live wrestling and how much is preparation in the gym, et cetera? It's, the, the, the life of a wrestler is so hard because we're like um, gladiators that are rock stars and Steve Austin one time, I was saying how we're like gladiators and rock stars. And he said, and truck drivers. Because we get on the road and go 100, 200, 300 miles to the next town. Now, if it's more than 300 miles, they fly you. So getting up early, catching the flight, getting to the town, going to the gym, getting something to eat, go to the building, wrestle drive 222 miles get to the hotel at two in the morning three in the morning go in take all your stuff inside get up in the morning grab all your stuff throw it in your car go get something to eat go to the gym go to the building drive 180 miles like it's a lighter like rock stars complain about the road i just laugh because they don't know what the real road's like. They got people, you know, when they're younger and they're getting their break, they do. But once they become superstars, they got people doing everything for them. You know, no, if you're still a wrestler and you're a top guy, you're still doing your own stuff. And that road will wear you out. I wrestled 200, in the 90s, I was wrestled 270 plus days a year plus doing the Tonight Show, which over a course of two months, I was on seven different times. <laughs> um, I did Hollywood Squares. I did uh, my first movie uh, in Australia. I was out there for two weeks. Like my schedule was insane. I bet you over 97 and 98 and 99, I might've been home 20-ish days a year. But you're talking about like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but the, the, the tax on the, the human body doing that, th there's a big difference with all due respect to, to Mick Jagger, who had, what he's doing at his age is remarkable, you know, running up and down a stage on, on a tour, but he doesn't, you know, he's not 225 pounds and he doesn't have somebody 225 pounds picking them up over their head and throwing them down into a mat, whether it's rehearsed and or fake or not, I don't care. The tax on the body is immense. So here, here, here's, here's a word you can, you can live by and everyone will agree with them. You can't fake gravity. Right. No, that's my point. Well, that, that has an effect on the body. So, so how are guys, how are guys recovering, let alone conditioning? Well, the young, that busy? Guys, the young guys have youth and you feel indestructible. I heard Ric Flair say one time, it's incredible what the body can get used to. But when you stop doing it, and then you go back and do it, oh man, because I had started and stopped a, a bunch of times. You see, my career, I started at 35 as a wrestler. My career took off when I was 40. <laughs> I was in 1996. Right. 97, 98, 99, I was on top of the world. Yeah. In 98, I probably, 97, 98, I headlined 13 out of 24 main event pay-per-views. And at the end of 98, I just signed a multi-million dollar three-year deal, and then I blew my back out. And you can see me wearing this DDPY shirt. Um, my company, DDP Yoga, I'm branding it DDPY because I want people to stop calling it just effing yoga, because it's not. Um, that's when I, in 98, going into 99, I ruptured my L4 and L5. You could say, 
I broke my back for lack of a better word now description, but I had three spine specialists tell me I was never going to wrestle again. That's where the program came from. And I just mixed yoga and rehab and old school calisthenics and dynamic resistance together so that when they're telling me I can never go wrestle again, I don't get paid that, that contract if I can't wrestle again. And in less than three months, I was back in the ring. And so that's, again, that's why, that's one of the main reasons Anderson Cooper had me on because he heard me on, or one of his promoters heard me uh, production people's heard me on TMZ and they were talking about the coronavirus, of course. And our governor Kemp, he, um, he had just opened up, it starts today. As a matter of fact, he just opened up, uh, gyms, gyms, tattoo parlors, you know, a lot of, a lot of places that have been shut down and I get it why he did it because people want to go back to work and nothing's changed. Right. Right. You know, like, do you remember what was happening two, a month ago? You know, like, nothing's changed. So they wanted to know what I was going to do. And I said, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing right now, which is keep my place closed. And I'm lucky. I'm, I'm really lucky because I don't rely on my gym business of people who come in and do my program. Right. You know, that, that's always just, you know, made me a little bit of money. It's, it's not my focus. I do it for my community. Um, we make all our money on our DDP Yoga Now app, which is just killing it. Right. And I'll tell you what's really, Jonah, completely shocked me is that DVDs are still alive for me. Of course. I don't see DVDs anywhere. Right. I don't know people even, I don't have a DVD player in this computer. Right. I mean, but we sell the hell out of them, man. Our business, since this shit has happened, is up over 100%. And we make a lot of money to begin with. Like, our, it took me 10 years to make this an overnight success. So for the last eight years, it has been booming. So and these are like January numbers right now. So let's go back for a second. So I just want to go back to the, you know, within the ring, so to speak. So people are wrestling. The pressure's immense. The tax on the body is over the top. The, you know, that pressure to remain a star, you know, to be on prime time would be immense, I would imagine. Is that where the pressure of steroids comes in and drugs? Well, for me, back then, I did uh, extra testosterone, um, which is naturally in your body anyway. Yeah. And, it, and occasionally, I would do something called, um, it was called, I can't remember the name of it now, but they gave it to, 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 to burn victims, yeah. help heal faster. So I would do cycles on and off of that and just got lucky where they, you know, whenever they tested me, I wasn't on, (laughs) you know? Um, So for, to me that, you know, that helped me in my forties. Most of these guys are not in their forties, you know? Um, The program, uh, my, my DDPY program is something that I would never have been able to wrestle without it. Chris Jericho is a great example. You can look at Chris Jericho, and, you know, he's not on steroids. You can look at his body and you can tell. Right. He's not. But he's still having crazy matches at 49 years young. But he's been doing my program for the last eight years. And he will tell everybody, Dustin Rhodes is 51. He ain't on anything. But he's been doing my program for the last 10 years. Right. So there, there's ways that you can hold back the hands of time, but eventually, man, it's going to get you no matter what. And what these kids are doing today, like I watch these guys in AEW and at NXT, and they're like maybe the biggest risk takers of all. Uh, AJ Styles, 
is another one who's just unbelievable. He's like a superhero. Again, AJ's been doing my workout for the last four years. A lot of the guys who are doing a lot of these crazy moves, I've been doing my program. Right. And that's just a fact. I'm not, not working that in. Like, that's a fact. That's how they're doing it. But they're still going to pay for it big time in their 50s and 60s and 70s. Like, they have no idea. But right, with, you, with you being like late, let's just say you were late to the party as a wrestler at 40. Yeah. But like you didn't, you didn't endure twenty years previous of of pain at the same time, right? Like a hundred percent. I used to say that starting at thirty five was a, it was a curse because you hit that mat the first day at thirty five. <clears throat> it's like someone threw a, a, a sledgehammer at you, and now you got to learn how to fall flat. There's nothing in you that says you should fall flat. You want to reach back and protect yourself. No, you're going to break your arm. You're going to tear your shoulder. So you have to reprogram your mind. When you're younger, way easier because it doesn't hurt as much. You're unstoppable. You think you're untouchable at 22. Exactly. Or and that's why guys like, um, there's a kid in AEW right now. His name is Darby Allen. Yeah. He is an incredible talent. Now, he's also not 6'4 and 240. Yeah. You know, he's a smaller guy, yeah. but he is the risk taker of risk takers. Yeah. He's a bump and he does my program. If he wasn't, he would be crippled right now. Yeah, some of those bumps are crazy that he takes. But the stuff he does blows my mind. And in, in, in essence, he's going to learn how to sell more, which he's been learning every match because people love him and they're going to get behind him and cheer him. He has the potential to be a mega star in this business. Like just like Ray Mysterio being for not being a big guy. He's got monster potential to be a monster guy. The guy who's going to be the biggest star in the business to me, if he keeps his nose clean is MJF. Now that's on bitch. He gets it. And he's a phenomenal character and like too real at times. Yeah, you know, like you can't diverse. You can't like who's the real guy and who who's the character on TV. You know, Jonah MJF is Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Okay, <laughs> wearing a wearing a Burberry scarf into the ring, and literally treats everyone like garbage, but in the most you know flamboyant, cocky way you've ever seen. All right, just both of you get a chance to take a sip of water and, and take a breath for one second. So. Uh, while we're all sitting at home watching this uh, and not watching the NFL draft, which was pretty remarkable last night, there are some still things that you can actually bet on online with my friends at betonline.ag. No, the NBA, NHL, and Major League Baseball are not playing, but BetOnline has hundreds of things you can place wagers on right now in addition to casino, poker, and blackjack. You can bet on eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, I think they just canceled the spelling bee, so you can't bet on that. And yes, they have a $750,000 poker series. They're still fun to be had on betonline.ag. Use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag. And use the promo code MYPOD100. There, I've taken care of the housekeeping. So, as I said, I, I, I got tons of questions for you, from, uh, but they all kind of, not all, a vast majority of them fall under the same kind of category. All sorts of acronyms I've never heard. I, I'm, I'm assuming that right now that there's no more minor leagues, that all of these associations have, uh, have, have huge audiences. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't exist. The, the Legion Hall wrestling, as you talked about, does it still exist or is, is everything now primetime, online, big audience? Oh, God, there's so many small little audience packages out there. It's ridiculous. I mean, that's one of the reasons why wrestling – see, wrestling has become like a must-see thing. There's no such thing as must-see TV anymore because you just watch the DVR. Right. You know, uh, so the only thing that really has must-see is sporting events, and wrestling has been – categorized in that, you know, in some way too. Because people would rather, oh, if you miss a match, you can see that match next week. You know, but so they want to see it live. And you've, you've moved across 
you moved across brands. And I, I believe there was a merger at one point as well, where, where a couple of the, 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 the flags also got together. What were the differences? <clears throat> Obviously McMahon has his style, but like from a creative perspective and as a manager or as a wrestler, how much leeway did, did, did you have across different flags? Um, WWE wants to control everything. Um, WCW, I came up with almost all my own stuff. And it was way better for me personally. No, so and, and so there's no big changes, you know, from from what you were allowed to do or what you could do from one one brand to another. Well, I'm saying WWE was wants to control everything. Yeah, irrespective you know, of how big you are. WCW lets you be way more creative. Like AEW lets you be way more creative. You know, it's like, hey, get over. You know, like in WWE, they, they control, you know, a lot of writing is done and they run it more like a, like a, like a TV show, you know, where wrestling isn't really like that to me. It's like you take your own shtick and go get over. Right. But I think Jonah, I think Jonah's referring to like in WCW here, like the inmates running the asylum versus the corporate company that was. Yeah, that was bullshit. Yeah. That was total bullshit. You know, right from the get go, wasn't the Indians running uh, running the asylum? Did Hulk have a lot of uh, power? Yes, he was Hulk fucking Hogan. That's why he had a lot of power. Believe me, in WWF, he had a lot of power. It's Hulk Hogan. So, you know, the guys who say that kind of crap weren't there. I was there. Now, did things get, you know, a little crazy towards the end? Without question. But the bottom line is it's all about creativity. You know, and who's going to be the most creative individual to create their own shtick? So that's why I'd rather, I like the way AEW is doing their thing. Cody gives them a format and then they, the people who are going to get over are going to get over. So I'm curious about one thing, you know, back in the day of the Broad Street Bullies, when, when, when the National Hockey League was really tough, you used to hear, you used to hear stories about these guys beating the living pulp of, out of each other on the ice. But after the game, they'd be at the bar together having drinks. Same story in, in wrestling. Like, I mean, guys are literally out there doing significant damage to each other, uh, hurting each other. Were they pals? Were they enemy? I mean, obviously, there's there's always both. Some of your best friends, you could hit way harder. Yeah. Yeah, and if someone was going to, you know, back in the old days, if I was going to hit somebody with a chair in yeah. the head, I would walk up to him right before he went out there and said, bro, I'm going to apologize right now. And his attitude would be, don't make it look weak, bro. Come with that shit. I mean, again, it's not checkers. Was there any fake chairs? No, there wasn't. When you see the, the metal chair bend, the metal chair is bending on your body part. No, and blood is blood. Like, right. like I'm, I'm with blood you. And I don't care how well it's scripted. When you're picking up a chair, you're jumping off a rope, or you're picking somebody up and throwing them to the ground, pain is pain. Right. It ain't checkers. So, question, bro. So, back in the heyday, who were and I don't mean I don't mean within the within the within the ring. Who were the good guys? Like who were the guys that you liked hanging out with and what were they like? I love Kevin Nash. He was one of my best friends since we first day we first met. Um, Jake Roberts is still he's staying with me right now. You know, I want to keep him out of hotels and stuff right now cuz he's traveled so much doing his uh, one-man show that he's just ended up in hotels. And, you know, when he came here, I, I just put a, a video up right now about him coming in here. And now we're filming his eight, his six days of, uh, of uh, uh, quarantine in my house. But uh, Jake and I are super tight. Um, Dusty Rhodes was my mentor and one of my closest friends. Uh, you know, I stayed tight with you know, Austin and I, Stone Cold Steve Austin, we talk all the time. You know, guys, Chris Jericho, talk to him all the time. What was uh, Randy Savage like? What you, exactly what you saw. He was the most intense guy I have ever been around. He helped me. If it wasn't for Randy Savage, 
we probably wouldn't be talking right now. Like he did a huge favor for me in helping me ascend to that main event spot. And what is it, do you think, I mean, you've helped a lot of these guys, uh, Jake Roberts being one, like there's tons of content out there about you're helping these guys. What is it about you? What, I mean, what drives you? Why is that so important? Uh, what were, I mean, I know the yoga stuff, uh, that's critical, physical well-being, but there's obviously a trust level and a mental compa- uh, component to it. What, what's the secret sauce? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think any of those guys, from Jake to Snakes, you know, Razor Ramon, uh, Chris Jericho, AJ Styles, do you think I could get any of those guys to do yoga? <laughs> do you? No. Do you? No. No, I don't do that. DDP yoga is on the other side of the planet mm-hmm. from regular yoga. Yeah, yeah. I just use yoga positions and then incorporated three other, you know, techniques, whether it's calisthenics, um, dynamic resistance, time under tension. See, all of that in, a, in an attitude that is more hulk it up, brother, you know, than reach your arms to the heavens so the universe smiles back at you. I don't do that shit. Right. I created something that was different, and I did it to help me. And when I saw how it helped me change my life, like we're, we're about to release a new movie this year called Relentless. And it goes from me blowing my back out to where we are today. And you, you don't know this because you haven't really watched, but I'm sure Paige does because he probably saw it. On January 15th, well, it's like this. In, in January of 99, I was told I was never going to wrestle again. On January 15th of 2020, I not only cleared the ring with my comeback, I dove off the top rope to guys down on the floor at 63. (laughs) That was the greatest proof that my program is something completely different. And when I can show them, you know, different people that have unbelievable transformations, they want to feel good again. And it makes me feel good. I give it to all those guys, you know, because I want them to feel better. Well, you relate to these people. You live in those minutes. You see the guys before you, what happened to them, and you are living proof that it can be fixed. And then you're now creating a cautious. You're same way where these athletes lose money after their career's over. You're hopefully paving some further, you know, mindset for them so that they're not going to be an afterthought and their bodies are going to be healed as they potentially leave this industry and go, go outside of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm all the young kids I talk to. I don't just talk to them about my workout. I talk to them about what are you going to do next? Like, what are you doing right now to increase your brand? Now I was, I was watching, uh, I can't remember who it was, Um, but they were talking about why businesses fail. And they gave you three reasons. Money, the idea, timing. Every single one of them, timing. Now, and you were around me, Paige, when I first started doing DDP yoga, back then when it was yoga for regular guys. And that first eight years, it was brutal, but I never quit. I never gave up because I knew what it was. And I knew at some point it was going to explode. And it hasn't even really exploded yet. Within the next three years, it's going to be a household name everywhere. Wow. But, you know, it, but it's the belief and the relentlessness of what I'm doing. And everybody that I'm doing it with, it makes me feel great. So I tell people all the time who deal with depression, you want to help yourself? Help somebody. Because if you help somebody, it's going to make you feel so much better. It just, well, you, it's life. Well, don't you, don't you see now, I mean, with like cause, cause marketing, cause, if you don't have a cause, you know, then you don't have a purpose almost, you know, 
And I remember when you, I, I, I must have been within the first six months of your first YouTube video with the, the, the army guy who, yeah. the, the guy did his video on his own. That's he when you I started clicking. Everything. He filmed everything. And so the, the beauty for you, at least, is that you have a backstory that's been public. Like people can see that you took those hits and that you lived that life. Um, and then when you bring it to a person that no one knows and then they are inspired by you, I mean, is there a better feeling for you? Like, I mean, that's the ultimate gift that you're, that you're able to share your life and pass it to people that aren't fortunate and then they can live a better life because of what you stand for. I just love getting people out of pain because when you're in such pain, you get used to it for so long, you just accept this is the way you have to feel when it's not. And it isn't just my program, the workout part. It's the eating part. It's the food you put in your body or fake food you put in your body. Cause you wanna know how to beat, you know, have the, the, the biggest leg up on the coronavirus? Stop eating shit. hundred <laughs> percent. So tastes so good. Yeah, right. Well, enjoy the coronavirus, brother. <laughs> you know? And you know, you know where you're wrong about it tastes so good? If you were eating the way I eat, which is gluten-free, dairy-free, GMO-free, everything's organic. Or what your great-grandparents used to call food. Right. No, okay? I yeah. If you ate the way I ate, if you ate a meal at my house, just one, or... 23 days in a row, you would say, this is the best food I have ever eaten because it's real food. You're used to eating shit. So you process. think that tastes good. It's all processed. Listen, we have a fundamental, without going completely off, off the reservations, like we have a fundamental problem. And that is that you can feed a family of four at McDonald's for 15 bucks. But if you want to go get them healthy food, like salads or whatever, you're at 40, 50 bucks. Like that's well, $15 to feed what you call it. doesn't take Einstein to figure out five things for $5. Right. What the fuck could be in that? That's right. Yeah, I mean, oh, exactly. I mean, no. <laughs> so I have no sympathy for people who go through the shit because it's really common sense. It's common sense. So for Joe Public, uh, Joe and Jane Public, who actually are going to be listening to this, uh, how, how do they get involved with you? How do, they get, how do they become part of the program, so to speak? You know, I always tell people, don't listen to a word I have to say about my own program, <laughs> because I've got a legion of army out there that are transformations that will talk about it. If you go to ddpy.com or ddpyoga.com, just go down to the bottom and watch the videos. Watch the disabled veteran a video you've most likely seen because we've tracked it at, you know, because on our side, we got like a hundred million views on it and the different channels we have it on Facebook and YouTube and that, but we've tracked it. It's coming up on a billion views. Wow. Good for you. And most people don't even know it's my program because we don't have it in there anywhere. It's not an advertising piece. It was made to inspire people. And then if they want to find it, they will. But you can see Arthur's video there. But you can also see, you know, Stacy's and, you know, and Vance's and just people who've had unbelievable transformations. And again, most people don't really want to go through a transformation until their doctor goes, well, if you don't change, you're going to die. Right. You know, then all of a sudden, they're all about changing. Not everybody, but about 70% of them are. You know, so, you know, go on Twitter, at RealDDP, at DDP Yoga. My the, the favorite place is just go to Facebook, DDP Yoga. It's a member's site. There's 46, 48,000 people on it. Just say, what's this program about? <laughs> they will tell you. You don't have to hear it from me. Nobody gets paid. It's kind of like when you're in wrestling and you were there as a kid and someone started chanting Hogan. And then the whole building was chanting Hogan. Now, if they don't like Hogan, if 
if they aren't pulled in by his character or who they think he is, they're never going to chant Hogan. It is so hard to get people to chant your name, for them to get behind you and believe in you. And I was lucky. I had you know, thousands of people chanting DDP, you know, or they're chanting Stone Cold or Rocky or whatever. That's what the internet is today. You can't get people to write consistently great things about something unless they really believe in it. Because when people talk about my program, they're not going to write awesome program. They're going to write paragraphs because their life changed. And maybe it saved their life. And that's, that's the power of the internet. And why it, I had to wait eight years for it to take off, because I had to wait for the internet <laughs> to catch up. And when that happened, my life changed again. So, you know, uh, what, wrestling was a lot of fun for me, but today, and Paige will tell you, because you weren't watching in the 90s, but I was crazy over. Oh my God. But what I'm doing today is dwarfing that. And it's not me, it's my people, my company, you know, my people who work their ass off you know, and friends and family telling people. That's the beauty of it, man. Well, this has been awesome. Very uh, eye-opening for me, as I said, you know, back when uh, it was, was King Kong Bundy and George the Animal Steel and Sergeant Slaughter, that was wrestling to me. Um, I was blown away when I asked my followers to reach out if they were still, in, still fans, and, and tons of them are. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're super, super busy. I think it's really important what you're doing and uh, just really appreciate you taking the time talking to us today. Hey, Jonah, thank you so much for having me on. It's been your pleasure. We will, uh, <laughs> hopefully we can do it again. Absolutely, buddy. Paige, great seeing you, brother. Buddy, good man. You're a good man. Only good things to you, brother. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.